you know, uh, have you ever met someone with a unique name? Uh, have you ever, or an odd name, or or a funny name, or a why in the world did their parents name them that kind of name, you know? I can understand, I can empathize, I'm Steve Brook, and that sounds cool, <laughs> but, uh, but my actual real name is Gerald Stephen Brook Jr., all right? So, uh, yeah, I've, had pl- I've been teased all growing up, yes, Jerry, Jerry Jr., one of Jerry's kids, that kind of thing, please. I, I, so I understand, but, but uh, I, I have a lot of empathy for there's every once in a while in the Bible, you will find some uh, funny, uh, strange uh, names that seem strange to us now in this culture. And if they lived in this culture now, they might get teased like I did when I was a kid. Two of the funniest names I've ever heard in the Bible are, for, for nowadays, is, is the uh, um, two people that we're going to meet in today's message out of Acts 9.32 through 42. So go ahead and open your Bibles there if you've got a Bible. Um, then, uh, um, then when you get there, you're going to find the heading of the passage um, if you have an NIV, the heading is simply the names of these two people that we're going to meet today. Now, as you read the names there, you have got to know that I started out in youth ministry, junior high youth ministry. 20 years ago when I started in ministry, it was as a junior high youth minister. So you cannot pass up the giggle fest that is in the names of these two names in Acts 9, 32 through 42. And so, now, the first name that you see here in the Greek could be pronounced just as you fear that it might be pronounced. Uh, but to cl- keep our minds as clean as possible this morning, and we might have children here, we're going to choose to pronounce and enunciate every vowel of this guy's name, okay? Uh, and so we will say... Aeneas, all right, is what his name is. But can you imagine, I mean, if he had that name today? I mean, I'm sure it was a cool name then. But today, I mean, can you imagine the friends and the bullies alike who would have a heyday with that one? You know, I mean, and then the second name, which is, uh, the gal's name is really nice. It's Tabitha. Oh, such a pretty name. And that's the Aramaic name. But her Greek name, uh, and, and again, it was beautiful then. But today it might get teased some on the playground, Dorcas. And I mean, just, you know, how would you like that name? I mean, any, na- I mean, any of you have empathy. You know, you grew up with a, a strange name that people made fun. People can make fun of names, I tell you what. And, uh, um, but I, sometimes I think my family might be Greek. Simply because we're calling each other Dorcas all the time. No, you're a dork. No, you're Dorcas. No, you're a... And, and, but, but, uh, but we can empathize. Man, oh, yeah. If they live today, most of us can remember a time in our lives when we did want another name. I mean, all of us, if we look back into our own childhood, our own lives... Boy, there was a time. For me, it was the, the last day of third grade. And our whole class was in a circle sharing the one thing that we were going to do that summer. And when it came to me, I told the class in a very matter-of-fact tone, over the summer, I am going to have my name legally changed. When I come back next uh, to school next year, I will no longer be Steve Brook. I will be David Jones. Now, I did not want to be one of the monkeys. May he rest in peace. There was another third grader named David Jones, and he was the tallest, the fastest, 
the most athletic and just plain coolest kid in the school. And maybe if I just had his name, (laughs) I'd be taller, I'd be faster, I'd be cooler somehow. A better name for a better me, you know? And and, uh, and so I think, you know, I bet if, if paralyzed Aeneas lived in the 1970s with me, he'd probably want a better name too and a better life. We all do. I, I bet if, if ailing and dying Dorcas was in my third grade class in the 70s, I bet she'd want a prettier name. She'd probably go with Tabitha. And she'd probably want the chance at a better life, a longer life. I think we, we all want something better in life. We're wired that way. Sure, we get conditioned along the way sometimes to give up on high hopes and big dreams and great legacies for ourselves. But I can't help but think that we all want something better for our lives and want to be something better with our lives. And the truth is, like in today's passage, there is better life in a greater name. Father, we just thank you right now for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name there is healing for our hurts. And there's new breath for our lives. May your spirit speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, to Acts 9, 32 through 42, or it will be here. And uh, where we are going to find that Peter, one of the main leaders of the church there in Jerusalem, all Jewish Jerusalem, has been moving out, though, past some of his familiar boundaries and comfort zones of Jerusalem. And in these verses, we see him venturing out into the Judean countryside, all the way into two towns of Lydda and Joppa. Lydda and Joppa. Let's go ahead and see Lydda and Joppa right there. That's right. And, uh, and so you can kind of see through Peter's life, through the whole book of Acts, through Paul's life, through so many ways, the gospel spreading. That's what God meant for the gospel to do, the gospel that you have, that, that what, he's, what he's meant for us to do with the good news of Jesus, to love with it, to win with it, to grow in it, to go with it. So let's just jump right in and go with Peter in his travels in Acts 9.32. We start out here. As Peter traveled about the country, that's the larger Judean countryside outside of Jerusalem, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now, Lydda is the capital of one of the Judean districts that included non-Jews, like people not like Peter. You know, I think sometimes... Our prejudices against another people group are usually a result of our lack of personal interaction with that other people group. If you know anything about what happens later in Acts chapter 10, the next chapter, Peter and Cornelius and and the Gentiles, and I believe God is using Peter's interactions here in places outside of Jerusalem, there in in, in, uh, Judea and Samaria, to make him more prepared and open to the radical kind of boundaries that God is going to have Peter cross and the church cross in chapters 10 through 15. And if you want to move out past your own prejudices in your own life, you'll have to engage in people groups outside of your own bubble. You find that as a true concept in your own life. What you'll find is that, though, is that the people beyond your bubble are usually, you're just going to discover, oh, they're just people. 
people created by God, people loved by God, and God will uh, develop empathy in you for them. And I, we, so we keep reading there. Peter found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. So I want you to empathize with Aeneas. What have you done in the past eight years of your life since, let's say, that's 2004? There have probably been key moments, people, new relationships, family members, friendships. Then you go, okay, with all that stuff, if I could figure out all that stuff up in my brain. Now, if eight years ago you had been paralyzed in an accident, bedridden, unable to move externally, or likely unable to communicate, do you feel that, that sadness in your heart? at the life that you would have, could have missed out on. And you let that sadness that you felt help you to empathize with this man named Aeneas. Jesus had empathy and compassion on people. He, he wants Peter to have empathy and compassion on people. He wants us to have empathy and compassion too. Empathy is often just mentally placing yourself in someone else's life, trying to understand and feel for that other person. Peter sees this paralyzed, bedridden man, and his heart has empathy and compassion for him. And he responds empathetically. This is Aeneas. Peter knew him, cared for him, felt for him by name, called him by name. And he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Roll up your mat. Peter here is just, he's practicing WWJD. What would Jesus do, right? We had the bracelets back in the, what was that, the 90s, the 80s? I can't remember. I mean, Peter sees this paralyzed man and remembers one of those times, like in John 5, 1 through 9, when Jesus went up to Jerusalem and there at the pool of Bethesda, there was a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. The man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And Peter sees this paralyzed man and the, para, and the, and the power of Jesus' name there in Lydda. And, and he sees it kind of the same way that he it reminds him of, of Jesus and, and the paralyzed man there in Jerusalem then. And Peter's simply imitating Christ. And we are called to, and we need to be imitators of Christ in our own lives too. And when we practice WWJD and we do it, good things can happen. Good things happened here. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him. And he's talking, and he is living, he is, you know, walking. And you'd be like, whoa, how cool is that? I mean, have you ever prayed for someone to be healed, and they were healed? You're just like, no way. I mean, sometimes I've prayed for someone to be healed, and it didn't happen. Sometimes it did happen. Sometimes it was immediate. Sometimes it took time. Sometimes it seemed like miraculous intervention. Sometimes doctors and drugs were involved. Sometimes it didn't happen, and yet something greater came out. But I like that Peter tries out his faith, and good things do happen. And good things can have a ripple effect. 
the plains of Sharon is this larger area all around Lydda. And the news of Peter and this healing in Christ's name there in Lydda would then lead to a real buzz about the Lord throughout the larger plains area. And that would help lead to another life-changing miracle in another town over there in Joppa. And so uh, let's go and take a look at Joppa, the next one. Um, There you go, in Joppa. Now, Joppa was an important and profitable port city, a more important city than Lydda. But again, it's amazing how when you share God's activity in your life with others, you try out faith in one area or one, um, one place in your life, it can lead to even greater activity elsewhere down the road. But sometimes, you know, if it doesn't start here, there's no ripple, you know. So there in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Now, in the Greek, she was, uh, her name is Dorcas. Now, both names mean gazelle, which is pretty, you know. But, but her more important and more powerful name that she has is the name of what? Not Tabitha, not Dorcas. It's disciple. Disciple of Jesus. It's a subtle reminder of the radicalness of early Christianity. Disciples were devout students of religious teachers. As such, in that culture, they were male and they were the best of the best of the rest of us. And, but Jesus breaks that. He, his 12, definitely not the best of the best, society-wise and image-wise. And in many of his disciples beyond the 12, were women. And so his radical departure from the cultural norm for what a disciple was, it kind of continued into the early church. And by the time Luke writes this, it's so matter of fact, Tabitha's a disciple. Yeah. I mean, that's just, what are some of the labels or obstacles that you face or faced in being a disciple of Jesus? I was talking to a friend who was responsible for growing me in, in uh, the faith and bringing me into the ministry as a young man. And he, he remembered and let me know, remembered the criticism and the caution that he received from, from a few people here and there, you know, and bringing me into the ministry. He's, he's from a broken home. He's young. He's single. He's weird looking with that crazy hair. You know, he's not formally trained in Bible school and that kind of stuff at that point. And so I always just like, oh, what are you doing? And we do. We need discernment in ministry. But I'm also glad that some Christians believed in me and stood up for me and gave me room to grow up and into being a disciple of Jesus. And Tabitha had been given that same kind of grace within the body of Christ. And in that kind of grace, she proved herself to be a disciple of Jesus by bearing the good fruit of a disciple of Jesus. It says there she was always doing good and helping the poor. Tabitha is just so admirable. She's always doing good. I mean, a person who is positive and encouraging and ethical and helpful and hospitable and forgiving. She's a peacemaker and she's always helping the poor. She's caring about friends, family, even others that she doesn't know who are living in difficult circumstances and seasons and finding ways to help them. In fact, she's, she's taken a bunch of widows under her wing and, and cares for them one-on-one. And she has love and compassion for others. And we all like these kind of people. 
Their lives truly make such a positive difference in our lives and in our world. And that's the kind of life I'd like to live and the kind of legacy I'd like to, to leave that you only get to live once. So you live it right and you live it sold out as a disciple of Jesus. And you live it now because you just don't know what, what tomorrow holds. You see, about that time, it says, Tabitha became sick and died. A good and loving person, a disciple of Jesus, a difference maker, becomes sick and dies. And that, that happens. Bad things happen to good people. That's just a reality for us and for our world. Nothing that you can really do about it. No need to blame God for it. It's just the way life is sometimes. But it truly amazes me how so often the bad things that happen to good people are the very things that God will end up using for even greater purposes in their own lives and the lives of others. But you have to look for it and you gotta wanna, wanna find it. Well, Tabitha, it says Tabitha's body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. And that was a kind of a cultural thing, but it was also an evidence of how much everybody loved her. They don't wanna let her go. She was too kind, too good. She'll be too missed. Don't, don't take her away. Sometimes the, the bad, sad, unjust things that happen to good people are what help us, though, to stop long enough in life to consider and care about the deeper things in life and learn the lessons that we need to learn. And, and they prepare us to help someone else. Like they're going to be saying, hey, Peter, can you help someone else? You see, Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and said, Peter, please come at once. We need you over here. Tabitha's friends and family are like every person ever. They're sad and they're hurting because they lost Tabitha. But these friends and family were also disciples of Jesus, just like Tabitha was. They had something more. You see, Christians... Respond to, and I can say this because I was not a Christian and I have become a Christian and I have seen the way Christians operate. Christians respond to pain and loss with sadness just like everyone else. It's just that they have greater power, greater purposes, greater hopes, greater encouragement available to them through Christ than others have in the face of of sickness and death. And I, I've been to and done so many funerals and been to so many deathbeds, I can tell you firsthand that Christian disciples almost always have a greater and more healthy perspective and sense of hope and comfort in those kind of trying times than anyone else. And that's what Tabitha's friends and family who are disciples do here. They're sad, yes. But they also know Christ has power over death. They put out hope that God could bring good out of this loss. They, they look to the church for help and Christian brothers for any help. And that's exactly what these disciples in Joppa do. Please help. And Peter went with them. Because he also has this hope inside of him. And, and, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where she was. She's dead, and, and all the widows stood around him crying and showing, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. 
You really get the feel of a funeral here. The people closest to Tabitha are, are there, and there's tears of sadness, and there's feelings of emotion and loss, and, there, and there's the sharing of memories about Tabitha, and there's memora, the sharing of memorabilia from Tabitha's life, the clothing that she made. And there's more than just, though, a normal funeral here. There's a spirit of hope that is uniquely Christian, a sense like what kind of good, what kind of glory will God bring out of this loss? And that's a uniquely Christian hope in the midst of death and disappointment, a people wanting and watchful for God to redeem and make sense of the difficult things that happen in life. And just like Peter had been to a, a few of those pick up your mat and walk type of healings with Jesus, Peter had also been to a few funerals with Jesus. And he remembered the funeral of Lazarus quite well. And, and then he's okay, WWJD. Talk about, I mean, that would be a tough WWJD. I mean, he remembers the funeral of Lazarus quite well. Right? He raised Lazarus from the dead is what Jesus did what would have Jesus have done? He did, did that. I mean, and, and I mean, there's, there's WWJD, Jesus would have loved people, and so I'll love people. But there's WWJD, Jesus rose from, from the, what? I mean, I can imagine Peter thinking, could I, no, 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 not, well, not by my name, I can't, but wait, in Christ's name, I guess anything is possible. He said that, but well, there's no harm in trying in the name of Jesus, the kind of things that Jesus did and said, we don't, and Peter tries it. You know, dude, that is trying faith out. That is taking faith for a spin, my friends. Has, has anyone ever tried to, I mean, prayed to, to raise the dead? You're probably like, no, I've, I've never done it. But I think, I think some of us have. I mean, sometimes it was as simple as the, our favorite family pet. You know, got hit by a truck and died in my arms. And I'm praying. I mean, what, when, I, when I have nothing left, right, I, that's, that's what you say, right? God, give her life back to us, right? Now, it didn't happen. But most of us have prayed that kind of thing in faith at some point, have we not? You know? Because we're children of God, and children say to their father what they want. Not what is polite and, and okay, this won't have any risk. And No, they, they ask for what they, what they want. And sometimes for me, it was very personal. Like when Grace, our youngest um, she was born dead and lifeless, blue, um, uh, came out and just, I mean, just arms, little. I mean, it was, and, and I, I remember I had been prepared for so many things, but I had, I had not been prepared for this. And, and the nurses worked frantically, and all I could come, with every, all my training, with all of, I, all I could, I couldn't do anything. All that came out of my mouth was, Jesus, Jesus, please, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, that's all that would come out of my mouth. Somehow her life was spared. And, you know, sometimes it was an infant death or a teenager who died in an accident and, and, or an adult who died too soon. I, I've prayed even right in front of the family, that God would, God raise, give us back the one that we love. 
And it may not have happened. In fact, it usually didn't. But I tried my faith in Jesus' name and Jesus' power. Sometimes uh, us well-meaning Christians will complain, but, but you might hurt someone's faith when you pray that, that you want someone, to, you know, for something great to happen or heal or raise, and it doesn't happen. And what? But I've found that nothing has been further from the truth in my experience. People want the people of faith and hope and love to have faith in the power of Jesus, to have hope in the powerful name of Christ, have the love of Christ for those that they love. You know, people want you to, to want what deep down in their hearts they want for their loved one. You know, healing and life and something better. And no one's ever lost their faith or criticized me for praying in the name of Christ that someone that something great would happen or that someone would be healed or someone would be brought back to life. Some, that's what a kid says to his father. Sometimes God was glorified through something miraculous, but often in the absence of the miraculous, it still brought comfort. For at least we tried everything that's possible and available to help our, our, our loved one. People know that you personally don't have the power over life or death, but they do hope that you know the one who does and that your connection to him and your hope in him will make you want to try whatever you can in faith. And, and, and I love it. P- Peter sent them all out of the room, it says. He sent them all out of the room. I mean, he wants to try his faith, but in private. <laughs> He's like, whoa, this is a big one. And I think the same goes for you. I, you know, whether it's in private or in public, we just need to try out our faith. Give our faith a spin sometimes. Sometimes faith tried won't get the results like you see in those occasional stories in the Bible. But you know what? Faith that's not ever tried never gets anything, right? So try faith. Peter at least tries faith. When he walks on the water, even for a couple steps, at least he's trying, Right? And so Peter tries faith. He got down on his knees and prayed. Jesus had taught Peter that his prayers are heard by God, that they matter to God, that they can change things. And even the simplest childlike prayers prayed in the name of Jesus Christ can be powerful in the hands of God. And so turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And you can, I can just see Peter just prayerfully saying these words. His eyes are still closed. One, one eye is peeking, you know, just wondering. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. You're like, whoa, no way. I mean, that, my friends, though, is one of the greatest rewards of trying faith. Sometimes faith and hope in Christ results in the miraculous. You get to be a part of the miraculous and see God at work. If Peter had been scared of what others might think, nervous about what if I, what if I try faith and it fails or I embarrass myself or I embarrass God or I become an excuse for people not to believe, so therefore with all those dangers of faith, I won't try faith. Well, then Tabitha would have stayed dead. Your prayers, your faith, your hope in Christ can make a real difference in the life of another. And that difference can ripple out to affect so many others too. Check it out there. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. 
And this became known all over Joppa. Oh yeah, you bet it did. And many people believed in the Lord. By the second century AD, the areas of Lydda and Joppa were well known for being strong Christian centers. You see, faith begets faith. Faith practiced and sown grows more faith. Lydda to the plains, to Joppa. Faith that's practiced just keeps on growing and expanding. So try faith. You're not perfect at it. I neither am I. Jesus, Jesus. I mean, I mean, we're just try it. Try faith. Practice hope in your life. Pray prayers. In Christ, you can make an eternal difference in this world. So what can we gain from these episodes in God's word and from the lives of these two people with funny names? First, the geography and the activity of this story and the book of Acts itself keeps reminding us that the message of God's love is meant to spread well beyond us, beyond our boundaries of ethnicity, prejudice, politics, cultures, comfort zones. I think these episodes also remind us that God is most active when he's needed most. I mean, who does Peter notice and therefore help? Two people who are in an obvious need. One is bedridden, the other is dead. Can't be more desperately in need than that. And I think if, you know, if I, I want to see God be active in my life, then maybe I, maybe I ought to pray and live as though my life and my future depends on him. That my life depends on him. We can also learn from both Aeneas' and Dorcas' stories that when God is active in your life, let's go ahead and do number three, that when God is active in your life, that that, that really can help other people um, notice God and turn to him as well. So when you see God doing something in your life or around your life, share it with family, share it with friends, share it with others. God activity, faith stuff is that you see, that you experience is not meant to be kept private inside. It wasn't just to bless you, it's meant to bless others as well. One other thing that that Tabitha's life teaches us is that while we know that doing good and helping people may not get you into heaven, doing good and helping people will make life more meaningful and, and give you more friends who love you and pray for you and want to help you too. In your daily life this week, try it. Do good. Help meet needs that you see. It'll make life more meaningful for you. It'll create and deepen great, great friendships. And I believe in the present and in the big picture, it'll come back to reward you in life. There are so many things that we can learn from these two characters and their silly names. But their stories also point to lessons that we can learn about a greater name, the name of Jesus Christ. First, Peter's words to Aeneas are truth for you and for your world. Jesus Christ heals you. Memorize that, underline it, claim those four words. Jesus Christ heals you. There is healing power in the name of Christ. We have so many hurts on the inside and on the outside as well. Believe and pray and speak those words and know those words. Jesus Christ heals you. Open your hurts up to him and ask him to heal your pain. 
We also are reminded by the raising of Tabitha that the name of Christ holds the power the life and resurrection. Please know that Christ wants to give you eternal life, life to the fullest, meaningful life. He wants to protect and provide for your life, save your life, even raise your life. He cares that much about you. Peter doesn't have the power of new life in and of himself or in and of his own name, and neither do you and neither do I, but you have access to the person in the name of Christ. So come to him, trust him, draw near to him. And these stories also remind us that Christians, which simply means little Christs, we bear the name of Christ in our own name. I don't need David Jones. I've got a better name in the fact that I have Christ in my name as a disciple of Jesus, as a Christian. And we hold great power and authority in the name that Christ, that is on us and in us. When we reach out in the name of Christ, we're reaching out the hands of Christ himself. When we speak about God to a friend, it's as if Christ is speaking his very words into their lives. When we pray for ourselves and others in the name of Christ, we are promised that it's as if Christ is interceding for us, speaking those very requests to the Father on our behalf. You have access to the name that is above every other name. The only name by which people's lives can truly be saved and redeemed by God and for good. And as a Christian, you bear that name. So bear it with all humility. Wear it with pride. Use it responsibly. Use it in any and every way for God's good in this world. There is power in the name of Jesus. Believe that. I know a lot of times I live as though I don't believe that. Every time I see my daughter Grace, I just want to kiss her. I want to hug her. I want to squeeze her. Even while she's watching TV, she's like, oh, Dad, stop. I'm trying to watch a TV show. You know, but I can't help it. When I see her there alive and healthy, I just can't believe it. I was there when she was born dead, lifeless. I remember how shocked dumbfounded, helpless, this sage of a wise man was, right? I mean, I just, I could do nothing. I was prepared. I was not prepared for this. I had no skills. I had no abilities that could help. I could say nothing. All I could mutter from my idiotic mouth was the, this is the name of Jesus over and over and over and over and over. I've always credited God and the nurses and the doctors there for bringing her back to life. And rightfully so, and I'll always be grateful. But part of me wonders, just wonders if in heaven, when the light of God illuminates the lives we lived, and if I might discover that the words that bumbled, mumbled, babbled, even unknowingly from just the helpless mouth of an idiot who did not know anything else, but words that uttered the name of Jesus were really, they made a difference. That at the name of Jesus the sick was healed. The dead was brought to I don't know. That's not a formula. There's no, there's no formula there. But maybe, just maybe, there's more power in the name of Jesus Christ than I sometimes think. And I sometimes give credit for and sometimes I live like. What's in a name? A person. I mean, think about it. What's in your name? It's you. What's in my name? Steve Brooke. No more, no less. What's in the name of Jesus Christ? 
Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ has the power to heal your heart when it hurts. Your soul, your state, your body, your hurt, your loss. So you trust him with whatever hurts in your life and the lives of others around you. The name of Jesus Christ has the power to give you, to give new life, to redeem your life, give new purposes to your life, protect your life, renew, refresh, save your life, lift up your life. So trust him with your life. And the powerful name of Christ is in your name, Christian. So be his hands, be his feet, his words, and may his name always be on your lips and lived out in your life in prayer, in thought, in everything that you put your life.